my friends, and welcome. Hello. To the, <laughs> I love it. Welcome to the Experience Our Industry podcast. I am Dr. Woo! Brian Greenwood, <laughs> and I am here with Julia Pettit. How are you, Julia? Oh, I'm so good. I'm so happy to be here. This is um, this is such a treat. Oh, this is so exciting for me too, because uh, Julia and I, when she was here at, at Cal Poly, and since have um, have stayed in touch. Um, yes. Julia is a 2016 graduate of our program, and is also um, uh, a graduate um, from the ma- got a master's degree from uh, Dr. Jerusha Greenwood and I, where we where we <laughs> met at NC State, the program. Yes that we were graduate students in back in the day. Julia has a degree from NC State as well. So yeah, Mustang and Wolfpack, you know, that's right. Oh. Mustang and Wolfpack, <laughs> right on. Um, although, yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a Tar Heel at heart, you know, so yeah. uh, oh, I, yeah. I support that department, <laughs> Parks, Parks, Recreation well, and Tourism. You two are a big part of me choosing to go there. So I hope, um, I hope you know that was such a such an honor to be able to kind of talk to have an inside scoop before I started the program. So <laughs> it was right awesome. on, absolutely. And and Julia and I have shared um have shared in in talking about uh, some of the professors at, at um, NC State that are still there that were yeah. that meant a lot to me. Um, Doctor Doctor Jason Bacaro, shout out to absolutely. to, to uh, Doctor Bacaro. We've we have talked and and um, Julia had um, had. Uh, had Dr. Bacaro, and so um, she is now. Um, let me let me get to what she's doing now. Um, so Julia is currently the youth a youth recreation supervisor for Ketchum Parks and Recreation in Ketchum, yep. Idaho. A yes, beautiful. I'm down in the middle of Idaho. Right. Ah, <laughs> oh, what a beautiful place. I um, I don't know if I've told you this or not, but when when um when Evie was one. Uh, Drusha and I did, um, a 24 day road trip, um, through the Pacific Northwest and, um, and visited her, um, her aunt in, um, in Coeur d'Alene. And so we drove all the way through Idaho and it's so beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. Um, Yeah. I'm so, I, I I can't wait to, to hear all about Ketchum and, and, um, and talk about some of the amazing things that you're doing and, and and all of that. Let's let's go back and let let our let our listeners um hear a little bit about your background. Um tell yeah. us tell us where you're from, Julia. Yes, I grew up in Southern California in Chubuco Canyon. And that's where I was that's where I was born. Um my dad was a Marine Corps in the Marine Corps when I was young. He was a F-18 pilot. So actually right when we got to Southern California, I was born prior to that, two years before my brother was born in Pensacola, Florida. And then my parents lived in Beeville, Texas for a little bit after that. And then we're in Southern California for the next portion. And my dad was ended up getting out of the Marine Corps about eight years later. So um, so I did my whole childhood there. And then Gotcha. Yeah, my little my little sister was born seven years after me. So got two siblings. My my brother is Gosh, she's 31 and my little sister's at Cal Poly right now. She's a senior. No so, way. Um, yes. What's she, she studying? She studies public health. She wants to be a nurse. Right on. Yeah, she is loving it. She's in Gamma Phi cool. Beta, doing the whole um, whole sorority thing. So <laughs> Nice. That's awesome. Well, very cool. I love it. Little sister's following in big sister's footsteps. I love oh, that. Man. 
Yeah. Uh, so tell us what you were like. Uh, tell us what you were like growing up. What were you into? What was your jam? Oh, man, I was a soccer player pretty through and through for a lot of my childhood. We yeah. Um, yeah, did club soccer, which took up a lot of time. Both my brother and I were playing a ton of soccer growing up. And, you know, I'm pretty small. I'm five one. Um, and I would say, as a kid, <laughs> yes, as a kid, that was pretty, um, pretty shaping. I was always the underdog. So mm-hmm. definitely had to be proving myself a lot. No matter what, what team I walked onto, I was almost always the smallest. So, right. Right. so, but anyway, I did, I loved soccer. I also played, um, on the club team at Cal Poly. I was going to say, I thought you were club soccer here. Yeah. Yeah. Right yeah right so, on. and I still, you know, I still played today in a rec league. It's been, it's been a really fun sport to be able to do for my whole life so right 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 well well now down in socal uh they they know you all know cal poly a little bit different right uh pomona is when people say cal poly they're thinking pomona right but uh yeah not in my family so not in your family okay cool. my parents went to cal poly and met in the red brick (laughs) so um growing up we had a really big connection to san los obispo and we would go on family trips growing up and yeah. our favorite thing was to go see the horses on Cal Poly's campus. That was oh. what me and my brother always looked forward to is can we go see the horses? Yeah. And my parents would say, Yeah, I know there's so many things in the we can go look yeah. at the horses on campus. So um so yeah, I was definitely pretty pretty strong connection to San Los Obispo growing up. But yes, when you know there is a Pomona, I think about an hour away, we just didn't really know about it until later. <laughs> there you go. Your your parents kept you isolated from that from that yes. Cal Poly, right? Yes, I love it. One. <laughs> Mustangs through and through, right on. That's awesome. Well, let's talk. Uh, let's talk about your time um, here at Cal Poly, right? So you, you've mentioned yeah. to us that you were on the club soccer team, and um, I like to ask two different questions. I like to ask um, uh, uh, an enduring memory. Like, is there something that when you look back, where where you're <laughs> like, oh wow, that so um, yeah. I won't forget that moment. What what what? Uh, anything you could share with us? Yeah, I mean, a few come to mind for sure. Uh, one definitely would be riding a steer in rodeo class. Oh, yeah. Was, I remember you telling me about that. That, yeah. that was hands down one of my favorite things ever. And, you know, looking back even now, I think about it and I'm like, what school could I have gone to where I could have showed up to class and got units for jumping on a steer? I, I don't yeah. know, but um, yeah. that was definitely pretty unique to Cal Poly. I loved that. And then my senior year, I actually joined the logging team as well. And that was also some of my favorite memories. We're in competitions. And what was your sport? um, What what was or what what was your um your sport, but your activity? What was your specialty or whatever? Yeah. So you know, when you're they needed girls at the time. (laughs) And so Uh they were just would throw me in anything. So I did axe throw, competed in the single buck and double buck and Jack and Jill, which is cross cut saw. events and then did man choker course was the kind of that big obstacle course you have to carry the choker oh. and yeah power saw chainsaw events we had to do i think the competition i was in we had to do a match cut with the chainsaw uh-huh. and you know another another great cal poly thing like what other school do you go to where they hand you a chainsaw and say here go right. fast go for um, it <laughs> yeah, go fast go fast yes. and it was a lot of fun it was just it, you know some of my best friends from cal poly are from that time in my life too so that's um, awesome. a lot of logging team friends i still keep in touch with today so 
That is cool. That is so cool. Love that. Um, So let's talk about professional development, right? When you look back Mm -hmm. on um, your time at Cal Poly, is there something that really stands out where you think to yourself, wow, that really helped to, um, to make me into the professional that I am today? Absolutely. I, um, one of my favorite things about, I think the recreation department specifically experience industry management was the emphasis on volunteer opportunities during my time. I think it really, looking back, it really helped me transition into the working world and understand just the ins and outs of organizations and what they need. And I remember I volunteered for Growing Grounds first when I was there. I volunteered for Super Bowl 50, which was a crazy cool experience. And I remember going with you to my first CPRS conference too during that time, which was so incredible. And I actually became really involved with CPRS in my career too, and ended up serving on one of the boards for my district when I was in Riverbank. And it was, you know, started at Cal Poly with really, um, I see your sign in the back says more than a motto that learn by doing really does, um, really does help. I feel like in an education and, you know, having the the classwork was one thing, but being able to really get out into the community and understand what organizations needed volunteers even and what they were doing. And um, yeah, that was a really, really cool experience for me and in, in kind of integrating into my career today. Yeah, and you get a you get a different perspective, and um, you know that that time that you mentioned with CPRS that really that really stands out. I can re- I can even picture like the where we were where we were, the, <laughs> the, the social um, yeah. that that little booth that little booth there in that area where I don't know why yes. I I have a terrible memory, Julia, but for some reason um that time just stood out. Um, and and you know I I, I think back to my first. Uh, you know, I guess it was first 14 years or so at Cal Poly with, with Dr. Hendricks as, as our department head. And when we would go to conferences, I mean, you remember this. I mean, he knows he knew everyone and oh, he, like, introduces you to everyone. So it's like, absolutely, yeah, it's this like whole different experience. Like I, I right. feel like without with, with without him now, I don't I don't I feel like I would go to a conference and I would feel out of place because I don't have him to like <laughs> goodness, introduce is, me to everyone, you know? Yeah, he has such a gift for connecting. And it was it was at that conference that he introduced me, or it might have even been you, to Jennifer Fanning, who ended up being the supervisor for my internship. So it was, you know, it was just um, so great to have you two in, you know, my whole process. And, yeah. um, and I hope, you know, I'm just so grateful for all of those times because it really was, it, it kind of launched my whole career. So. Yeah. Well, well, you know, it's, um, I, I appreciate that, but it's like one of those things where we, we absolutely, um, see that as a part of, of what we do. And, and we love, um, students like you who are, um, who are go-getters and like want, <laughs> uh, you know, want the professional development and want to make those connections. And so it's just a, it's just a natural extension of that learn by doing, like you said, I love it. So let's talk a little bit, all, all of our current students in particular, who are obviously a market for these, uh, these podcasts, um, yeah. they like to hear about the internship. And so you, you've told us a little bit, right. That, uh, that, um, that myself and Dr. Hendricks helped to introduce you to Jennifer Fanning. And, um, <laughs> and I am actually, uh, uh, uh you, you'll be happy to hear this. Um, I think by the time you were here, I was not doing it anymore, but my early career here, I was the, um, 
CPRS education rep. Yes. Right. Okay. And then I stepped away for a long period and, and Dr. Schwab was doing it. Um, but I'm now the CPRS education rep again. Nice. And so, yeah. So I'll be uh, I'm reconnecting with Jennifer and that whole crew. Awesome. And um, it's a great. Very, yeah, I'm very excited about that. And um, so tell us about that whole process of getting your internship and what you did and that sort of thing. Yeah. So I felt so lucky at the time with sort of just really matching up with the needs that the city of Tascadero had at the time. But um, what they were really looking to do, and and I worked with Jennifer Fanning a lot, and then Terry Banish, who is the deputy city manager. Uh-huh. And, you know, I think they were really trying to bring community events to Tascadero. And mm-hmm. Terry had really started to ramp up the sort of kind of increasing the tourism through Tascadero mm-hmm. in the sense that a lot of People, you know, they go to Paso or they go to Slow, but sometimes they miss Tascadero. So she really wanted to kind of ramp up some of the mm-hmm. offerings that the community had. And so I got to be a part of events that were happening for the first time. And cool. I remember dancing in the streets was one of the biggest events that I planned. And they had five bands and food trucks and the whole downtown closed. And it was so much fun. It was a it was a really cool event to to be able to be a part of. And and, and Terry did, you know, I for, for better or for worse, gave me a lot of responsibility with it. Right. And it was so much fun. And so um anyway, they were they were great. And and then I also worked a bit with the teen center during that time too. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. kind of summertime in the teen center, which I now understand is obviously across a lot of different communities, but you know, you get a lot of those kids from after school. Mm-hmm in the school year. And then the summertime, you know, it's, it's important to kind of keep programs going for parents that are working and kids need a place to go. But, um, but yeah, you kind of have to get creative on, on different things to be able to do with students in yeah. the, in the summertime. So um, that was really fun too. I got to be a part of both of those things pretty heavily. So. Right, right, right. Great. Well, I love it. And, um, you know, I, I, I said to you, uh, I said to you beforehand that we're not going to, we're not going to go through like each and every step along the yes. way. But, um, but Julia had a number of different positions after that from, um, you ended up becoming director of special events, right? For a task yes, the Chamber of Commerce down there. Yeah. So I still got to work really closely with Terry, which was really cool. Yeah. And the was... Chamber and the city really kind of went hand in hand in a lot of those events. So, right, right. And you said for better or for worse. And so that was my um, way of getting to, it must have been better because you got hired as director of special <laughs> well, events so. right after that, right? <laughs> yeah, at the time I was like, you're trusting me with what? Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but it was, um, it was great, a great experience for me to to right. be able to be a part of that. So. Right. Well, I, I, for me, that I think that that shows um, what you give off, the vibe that you give off from a pro- professional development standpoint and also from a personality standpoint, right? People, um, <laughs> people. I just remember, oh, you know, uh, Julia also worked as an ambassador for the, for the Junior Giants. And I just remember that people people just raved about about Julia and her ability to organize and lead and and so um it's no wonder that that you uh, that you ended up in in some of these roles and so you ended up at, at City of Riverbank as a recreation supervisor and then a couple of years ago you decided to go back and get your master's degree and so I wonder if you can just talk a little bit 
Um, I, I've tried to have people on um, in, in in bunches, if you will, right? Who have um, who have some similarities, and so one of the things that I've kind of focused on a little bit this fall is um, that graduate education piece and how it can fit in, and and the the decisions that you make to 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 take that step. So, can you reflect on that a little bit for us? Absolutely. Um... Yeah, it was, it was a big decision. I was working for the city of Riverbank at the time, and I'd been there for about two and a half years. And what was what I would say what really a big part of what kind of sparked my interest in it was we were doing this parks and recreation master plan in Riverbank while I was there. And we worked with a consultant and they really looked at all the data for the city, the demographic data, the geographic data, and then provided us with this with this report that sort of advise some of the decisions that the city could make on where to put net the next parks, what our city was going to look like demographically in the next 15 years. Mm-hmm. And maybe that could advise some of our program decisions. And I think what it did for me, and I, I got to work really closely with a consultant because he was, you know, getting a lot of the data on our current programs that we, we were doing and the participation rates. And it was really interesting to me. I think that sort of sparked my interest in maybe doing a little bit more and um, the the research side of things in that realm was really interesting to me, yeah. and and I think it helped me to zoom out a little bit from you know here's the, my current role and here's the programs that we're running in this department, and you can zoom out and look at the whole community and the community and the past and the community and the future and where it's going, and then you can zoom out even further and look at the cities around us and even the state, and then you know everything that we did was compared to national data. So we look at, you know, here's what the numbers for Riverbank look like for participation in basketball. And here's how that compares to the entire nation and what the numbers look like for the country. And so anyway, I I was surprised, I think, about how much I enjoyed that process and had thought about going back to school. I had saved up a lot of money and um, and, you know, I was kind of thinking maybe maybe I could put this toward a master's and looked around at a few different programs. And at the time, actually, um, NC State had a GIS certificate as a part of their Parks and Rec um, program. And through through the course of doing it, I ended up actually not choosing to do my GIS certificate, but I did do a few GIS classes. Yeah. And um, and it was just really interesting to me. I loved the um, education sort of. I don't know, world again and just being yeah, able to yeah. work with professors that were doing incredible things. Yeah. And yeah. And just that whole, again, like a whole zoomed out perspective of all of a sudden I was thrown into a zoom classroom with people that were working in Raleigh and people that were working in, you know, different parts of Colorado. And right. I was able to hear about everyone's experiences in cities across the country and, right. and what was going on. And um, I, I enjoyed every minute of it. I really, I, I think that, I am somebody that also kind of likes school. <laughs> so um, right. I don't know if other people would have enjoyed it as much as I did. But right. um, man, I looked forward to almost every single class that I took. It was even the ones that you were like, oh, man, data. And and then you get into it and you'd be like, man, this is kind of fun. Like, right. And everything really related to the organizations that we were working for. So right. Right. when you did a project, I'd, I'd talk to my boss and say, hey, I need to create a marketing plan. Can I create one for this event we're about to have? Yeah. And course your organization's excited about that too because um mm-hmm. you know they get to 
have something that they're really not paying you for, right. um, that they then get to have access to. So, right. um, so it really was, it, it helps me dive into what I did in my, in my job and, um, really just give me a lot more practice with things that I hadn't gotten to do in the jobs that I had. So it right. was really helpful for me. Very cool. So give, uh, give, uh, give our listeners a crash course on GIS um, that they, they might not know what that oh, acronym yes. stands for. Yes. Um, GIS is Geographic Information Systems, and it is becoming really relevant for cities that are developing. Mm-hmm. And basically, and, and I'll give you a sense of what we did in Riverbank, you look at the geographic layout of the city and maybe where residential houses are, where the streets are, where the parks are. Mm-hmm. An analysis that you could run is I could put a point where every single park is and then put a circle around it indicating which parts of the city are within a five minute walk from that park. Mm-hmm. Then by doing that, you can understand what parts are within five minute, a five minute walk from a park and then what parts of the city aren't. Mm-hmm. So then you can, as a decision maker say, man, we're we willing to serve this part of the community or focus on, you know, building a park over here if that part of the community is underserved. So right. it's, it's really helpful in making those kinds of decisions. You can also map out bike paths and walking paths and understand, you know, where can residents get to by walking and, and where are areas that they can't, maybe we can put in a bike path so that they can mm-hmm. access that area, um, you know, on foot. So uh, it is really, it, it's really interesting. There's a lot you can do with the program and that, mm-hmm. you know, we can zoom all the way out to a big section of national forests and understanding what kinds of land cover there is in those areas and where mm-hmm. trails are and, mm-hmm. um, and where watersheds are. And, and, you know, so there's obviously in, in the recreation, you know, realm, that data becomes really useful for making decisions for organizations. So, um, 100%. And I, I think, um, you know, for, for me, I, I will say that, um, th- that I feel like, you know, you, you hear people say, well, there's no such thing as systemic racism, right? Well, GIS and geographic information oh. systems helps has helped us to show that, you know, yeah, yes, there absolutely, absolutely. is. And it's irrefutable, right? When you right. look at, when you look at the demographics, um, and, um, and this, this concept called park poor, right? Mm-hmm. And I know you're obviously familiar with it, with, yeah. when, with your, your, um, consulting with GIS, right? And we've gone through, you know, I, I think about, um, a place called Durham, North Carolina. You're familiar with Durham, North yeah, Carolina. Yeah. Cause it's right there in the Raleigh, Durham, uh, Chapel Hill area, right? And I did a walking tour of Durham once and, and, um, I had lived there for many years and um and I obviously grew up in North Carolina and these things that you just never think about, right? These things where they cut whole neighborhoods off mm-hmm. from services, from parks, from right. all kinds of things. And lo and behold, what are those neighborhoods? Those neighborhoods are predominantly um black uh neighborhoods, right? That that can't get across the highway that you've built with eight Eight. lanes. And so therefore they're like cut off from all of these basic (laughs) things. Right. And, um, and so that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the systemic systemic aspects. And I I think GIS can um, has, and can continue to play a major role in, in trying to fight those, um, those things that, that, and, and LA is a, perfect example the the los angeles area 
Um, so let's get into let's get into a few things. You know, I think you've you've gotten um we we talked about some themes of things that we wanted to talk about, and I know you you care a, a, a great deal about um about inclusivity, right? And and yeah. um and you've been really active in your career and through your studies in in adaptive programs and that sort of thing. So I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about what what interests you in those areas? What are adaptive programs for people Absolutely. who are not familiar and that sort of mm-hmm. thing? Well, and I so during my master's, I actually worked for a therapeutic horseback riding facility here in Idaho called Swiftshire Ranch, and also got my certification as a therapeutic riding instructor. Uh-huh. And you know, a, it was a great role to be able to do during my master's too, because I could. They were really great with working with my schedule with classes and. And things like that. And I could teach, you know, lessons, um, according to, you know, the schedule that I, that I needed to do with school. And I would say that working there also really sparked my interest in adaptive therapeutic recreation in general. And I ended up sort of going that direction with my elective courses during my master's too. So I ended up taking psychology classes, um, and really interesting class on addiction and recovery. And it, became relevant to me about how important it is for um, people that are recovering, people that are dealing with a chronic illness, people that are dealing with an injury to be able to have programs to um, help with their healing process. And it, you know, we get, we had about a hundred people a week coming through the doors at Swiftshire and some kids, some adults, some seniors with dementia or Alzheimer's. And um, you know, it's, you really start to see the impact that it can have to be able to have an activity during the week that gets mm-hmm. them, you know, active and into their body. And, um, mm-hmm. and that was really cool. And, um, you know, I worked with kids on the autism spectrum quite a bit. We had a sensory trail down there. Um, and yeah, let me explain a little bit, I guess, therapeutic writing, we're working specifically with horseback riding. So, right. um, so all of our equine assisted activities and therapies, EAAT. And um, so some of that, you know, includes just interaction and some participants just come and they just groom the horse and just really work on, you know, that connection or. Um, I was going to say that. Can, I, I, I wonder if you can get into that a little bit more, because I've always um, growing up, I had a pony that my um, my stepdad kind of forced on me. Mm-hmm. Right. And most most kids like will like dream of like owning a pony. Well, I, I did You're not like, uh. yeah, I did not like it because right. he put me on it and it and he screamed at me and it 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 um I fell off <laughs> and I just didn't like it, right? Right. I never bonded, I never got that connection. But I have since met um and, and been really good friends with a few horse people and I've just been amazed by that connection, like the the horse, something about the horse, that's a psychology, right? Yeah, no, it's the horse it is psychology really and that connection mm-hmm. is just, um, it's something that I don't really get because I've never had it. But when I see it, I'm like so impressed by it. Can right. you can you reflect on that a little? Yeah, well, and what you're saying is true too. You know, pe- some people have had a really bad experience with horses and that's scary, you know, and then you're, you know, you've been through a traumatic experience with something. Being around it again isn't really that enticing. But uh-uh. um, <laughs> but I think that, you know, animals in general, people experience it with dogs, cats, you know, I think that there is a lot of the time a incentive of just connecting with, 
uh, an animal. And, and sometimes, you know, people are, have social anxiety or they are uncomfortable around other people, you know, connecting with an animal feels more comfortable for them. And mm-hmm. I would even say, yeah, I saw, I saw kids, if you put them in front of a therapist, I'm sure they would be really uncomfortable, but put them with a horse and they'll talk to the horse and they'll, uh, you know, they'll, uh, they'll verbalize maybe something that's going on. And it's, yeah. it really is, I think it's in really unintimidating way right. to interact with something. And so, yeah. um, you know, I think for, for certain people and it's not for everybody. I always say there's different, there's different things and different activities and therapies that really work well for some people and might not work for others. But, you know, I think that especially for kids, that whole factor of, you know, a really unintimidating interaction when they've been had adults talking at them their whole life about what they should do or what is going on, you know, and they can, they're just not really connecting, but then you put them with an animal. And I think that maybe it feels like they can, they can connect in a different way to, yeah, to a horse than you know, they could. So, um, so yeah, I, I'm going to be honest. I, I, I can't really fully explain it, but I, no, just, I know. I don't think anybody can really. Some, right. <laughs> some incredible things happen. And, um, yeah. and, you know, also biologically, one of the really cool things with horses is they have an even gait, right. When they walk, it's um, even. And so we would get a lot of participants with different levels of paralysis, like hemiparesis where their left side of their body is paralyzed and they haven't, been able to walk evenly for a really long time, if not their whole life. And so you get them on a horse and they're all of a sudden able to feel that natural rhythmic walk and work all the muscles that we work when we're doing our normal activities, if you are naturally abled and, um, and they get to experience that and, and that muscle growth and, um, and, you know, just balance that they don't get to because they, they can't walk evenly. So, um, that's a really interesting aspect of, specifically horses and being able to ride, I think is really cool. So wow. I have um I've never heard anyone explain that before. And that is um that is just uh, amazing. Really amazing. Pretty incredible uh, thing to watch. It really is. Yeah, yeah, I bet. So let's um let's get into a little bit more of um y- you know, I, I know I know you and I know what type of person you are. You <laughs> care about you care about giving back. You care about the the integration of, with of recreation with with wellness and and building of our communities. And I wonder if you can talk about, you know, one of our, one of the things with our shift to experience industry management that, that we feared was we feared that we would, um, that we would stray from our roots. Right. Um, And that roots being community and, 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 and parks and recreation and that, that, you know, that core Mm -hmm. element of, of building strong communities. Um, and you know, I, I I don't, I, I, I don't think we've, I don't think we've fully strayed. I think we probably, um, need to make a better, uh, uh, need to make a better effort at at trying to make sure we still don't. Right. Because as you get farther and farther and as we've realized, you know, experience design and this idea of co-creating experiences can happen in any sector, right? Mm-hmm. Can happen in any right. area, whether whether that's within the, the typical experience industry or outside of it. Um, but we want to make sure that our students know that it is an option, right? Parks and Recreation is an yeah, option absolutely. and it is a great option. Mm-hmm. And those, <laughs> <You> students, <don't> <laughs> yeah, those students who, who care about 
the, the this integration of recreation mm -hmm. and wellness, this integration of strengthening communities, it's a great it's a great path to go down. So I wonder if you can just talk about uh, talk about that a little bit and what has drawn you to parks and recreation and what what keeps you what keeps you in it. Yeah, um, you know, and it's funny. I I was I think the last class that. They, I remember getting an interview or a survey about the change to experience industry management in my year. Um, and, you know, I think we had parks, recreation, tourism, you know, it, it was, it's hard to find a word that streamlines all of those things right. <laughs> and feels right. like it brings it all together exactly. because it did feel like, you know, it's a, it's a really long name. <laughs> um, oh. But I think that, you know, and I think that it, it really experiences is a really big part of all of those you know, realms. And I would say in, in recreation programs, you're creating experiences in sports, you're creating experiences in, you know, tourism, you're creating experiences. So I think there is, you know, a, a tying together, so to speak of that. And in, in my, um, in my field, you know, it's a, a city is usually called a parks and recreation department, but same time parks are places where experiences are created and and programs and recreation are you know yeah. also a part of that so i think it i think it really does kind of tie it all together but um but yeah the parks and rec world for me really fit i would say a lot of my classmates were going into the event planning world when i was when i was at cal poly and i to be honest remember feeling like this schedule would, would be too much for me i didn't want to be spending all my weekends at weddings or at sports right. events, I kind of had a little bit of a selfish desire for a more um, even schedule and kind of a Monday through Friday, I can still have my weekends, I can, you know, go visit my family. And right. um, all those things were still really important to me and personally recreate myself because I'm, right. I'm a big fan of <laughs> I'm a mountain biker, snowboarder, right. um, hiker, camper. And I was, I, I foresaw not being able to do a lot of those things with my friends if um, I was working a lot of weekends. So that's sort of what originally attracted me to the position. And I, I really like the aspect of being able to, to wear multiple hats. I get to plan events. I get to be a part of youth programs. I get to be, you know, senior programs, facilities. It's It kind of all gets encompassed in a recreation department. So um, it really, it. I, I remember feeling like I didn't want to be pigeonholed into just events or just sports. Um, I really liked being able to be a part of all of those things. And so yeah. um, that part of Parks and Rec really is um, kind of fits me, I think, really well. Love it. But yeah. Um, so man. let's talk about let's talk about what you're you're currently doing. So this is yeah. a, a brand new yeah. position, right? As a youth yes. recreation supervisor. Yes. Um in Ketchum. Um, well, first tell us a little bit about Ketchum, right? I mean, um, because um I don't think uh I don't think very many people know of Ketchum. I mean, right. Ketchum, Idaho has this ring to it where I think a lot of people have heard of Ketchum, Idaho, but yes. they don't necessarily know what's there, what it's like, that sort of thing. Right. Well, it's right next to Sun Valley. So that's another ski town, um, big, big ski town. And Sun Valley is the pinnacle of tourism here. They have right. a very nice resort. Um, they own both the mountains. And so we have two mountains about, I, I'm five minutes away from Dollar Mountain and Bald Mountain. Mm -hmm. And Bald Mountain's quite a bit bigger. Dollar Mountain is where I grew up learning how to snowboard. My yeah. grandparents live up here. So that's kind of how 
eye oh, came to the connection. area. Okay. Um, yes. Okay. So they live, um, they live about 15 minutes south of where I live right now. And right. I was uh-huh. actually just at their house for dinner last night. So nice. being able to be close to them as they get a little that's, bit older has been a really important thing for me. But yeah, Ketchum is, you know, we have about 3000 people in the city. Um, there's this town you know, 15 minutes south called Haley, then another 10 minutes south, there's Bellevue. So that all encompasses Blaine County. And Blaine County is about 25,000 people. So a pretty small area. Um, wow. I was here. you were going to say much bigger. <laughs> 3,000 <laughs> no, 3, people? Yep. Oh my yep, goodness. That's I it. thought it was much bigger than that. Yeah, wow. no, it's pretty small. We um, The whole joke here is we either have three homes or three jobs because um, ah. it's a very affluent area. Um, uh-huh. I'm in the three jobs category. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yes, you got to have, have your side hustle. You're, you're, California, <laughs> right. you're a California gal at, at heart. You got to have a side hustle. There you go. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. A, a couple here just to make it. But um, uh-huh. but it's, you know, it's a, there's some really nice areas of town. There's people that, you know, have second and third homes. Um, So you have that whole part of the community. And then you have, you know, I think a lot of actually ski towns are experiencing this is you have the working class that um, is living there and having to work quite a bit to, to make it work for their family. And, um, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, it's a really interesting dilemma for the service standpoint from the parks and rec side of things, because you have families that are really in need of certain services, especially after school care and, um, you know, programs and events that are low cost. Um, you know, it can get to be a place where things are really expensive because they're appealing to this big tourism crowd. Um, but for people that are living here, you know, it's important to be able to offer services that they can participate in and, um, that are free or low cost. And so, um, so anyway, it's, it's, it's a, I, I really enjoy the aspect also of kind of this, this is parks and rec in general, but each community has just really different needs. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can get plopped into a city in a geographic area that has completely different needs and, um, and, you know, for services than where I am now or vice versa. And so, mm-hmm. um, but here that's, I would say that's a really big focus is being able to, to serve, parts of the community that are at really different income levels and um you know and also having facilities in general for um for both of those groups of people slash you know everyone on the spectrum so um so yeah that's that's definitely a big focus of of what we do and um we have a to, to give you an idea um our community center is located in the middle of this soccer complex. And during the winter, we flood one of the fields and make it an ice rink. And so, and that is actually completely free for the community to use. So there's the little entrance into the community center has ice skates and people can come in and grab a pair of ice skates at no cost and go skate out on the, on the ice rink. There's little makeshift hockey goals. (laughs) So there's a lot of pickup hockey going on in the winter out there. And, um, and then, you know, in the summertime, there's three soccer fields and a pickleball court right there. And uh-huh. so we get a lot of those activities going on in the summer. But yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a couple of things like that, that, you know, it's it's so great to have those things that a family can do um, yeah, that they don't sure. have to pay a lot for. So, you know, when you have a mountain where the lift tickets cost, you know, so much money and and skiing is so fun and I'm a big snowboarder. I love it. But um, but, you know, it's for a family of four 
to to be able to take your whole family it's really expensive and so um it's great to be able to have you know a few activities around town that um that families can participate in so right you know i've always wondered for these like really heavy tourism towns um like like ketchum and you know i was in jackson hall we we talked about that I've, i've often wondered and this is actually one of the things i loved about jackson hall is that and now I look back, I mean, obviously I was in my twenties, but, but we had like a, we had like a barter system where like, you know, if I need my snowboard worked on, I just brought like a thing of nachos, like the not a nacho <laughs> plate from, from the bistro, yeah. you know, and you know, I mean, I probably wasn't supposed to be doing that, but, um, but it was like this whole like barter Great. system, yeah, like absolutely. in the, um, in the service industry there, um, because we were all just trying to you know, to make it work. Um, you gotta stick that, together, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I've, <laughs> I've, 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 I've kind of wonder like why maybe, I don't know. It almost feels like you could, you could codify that in some way, right. Where there's like a local, there's a local price and right. there's a resident price, right? Like I, I've gotten into golf, right. And like, mm-hmm. um, down in San Diego, I know there's places where, um, where the price for locals is like fifty dollars to play golf, and the price for non-locals is like two fifty. Yeah, I, right. Yeah, that's, that's that. I think that that's a great that's a great idea, and I think you know what what is tough about this area. I will say is how do you define local? Because you have people that spend their one month of the ski season up here, and they have a house, and they're paying for their house all year. And they say, I'm local, you know, but, mm-hmm. um, but they're not working here. They're not, you know, and so right. it's, um, it is tough. It's, it's a tough dilemma for sure. But we have, you yeah. know, we have a similar, I would say a similar vibe. There's, there's definitely quite a few people my age in this area, you know, and it's, um, it's tough to make it. So a lot of people are hustling, you know, a lot and, yeah. um, yeah. and housing is really tough, difficult in this area. So, uh-huh. um, that's a big, I feel like there's a black market for housing around here. When you have a room available in your house, you got to like, uh-huh. don't you have to like, you know, secret, like a code uh-huh. word, you know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> don't publicize right. it too loud, right. but well, everybody needs a roommate. <laughs> right. Um, well, well, let's but, talk about, yeah. yeah. So let's talk about, you, you've touched on it a little bit, but let, let's, let's get a little bit deeper into that, that idea of building stronger communities. And, yeah. and so you, you, um, you uh, turned me on to the, this book, um, uh, this book uh, called Together by uh, Vivek Murphy, who was yeah. um, who was the Surgeon General of, of the U.S. and um, and so I, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what you've learned, um, what you've learned through that book, and 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 um, and what you see as a way for us to to strengthen communities, and 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 it it seems like it could be one there in Ketchum where it's a little bit difficult, like right. because of what mm-hmm. you said, right? Some are only there like for a month and they're like multimillionaires or whatever. They're just there you for feel the tension, right? When you're in the, <laughs> you're in the community, you definitely feel the tension of yeah. local and non-local and, um, yeah. and, you know, in other communities I was in, it has to do with, um, you know, in Riverbank, it was 55% Hispanic. Um, there was people that had lived in Riverbank for a really long time. And then people that had just moved there in this brand new mm-hmm. housing development. And you have that tension too. And, and, yeah. you know, how do we honor the people that are, have spent a lot of time here that feel like the history and the roots of the town. And then the people that are coming to this brand new development, looking for brand new programs and brand new events. And, and right. so, you know, a, you can feel it definitely in a community when you have some of that division going on. And I do feel like Parks and Rec has a really big, um, you know, 
responsibility. I don't know if that's the right word to, to help bridge that gap. And, um, and I think that when we talk about, yeah, that, that book, um, I actually first heard of Beck Murphy on a podcast myself, um, with Brene Brown and she has a podcast called unlocking us and had Vivek Murphy on there. And he was uh-huh. talking about this book and, um, I have it, I haven't fully read through it yet, but, um, yeah. I've, kind of went over bits and pieces of it. Now that I'm out of my master's, I think I'm going to be really excited More about time for reading, <laughs> reading <yeah>. again. That's <laughs> um, for fun. But, um, but yeah, and he um, actually, do you want me to read that quote that I had I originally lo- sent you? I would love you um, for you to. It's a really awesome one. Yeah, this, you know, he, he was really touching on a few different things when it came to um, sort of solving the problem of loneliness in mm-hmm. our world today. And, um, and this is a quote from him, but he says, Creating a connected life begins with the decisions we make in our day-to-day lives. Do we choose to make time for people? Do we show up as our true selves? Do we seek out others with kindness, recognizing the power of service to bring us together? This work isn't easy. It requires courage, the courage to be vulnerable, the courage to take a chance on others, to believe in ourselves. But as we build connected lives, we ha- we make it possible to build a connected world. Wow. Um, and I, I just really resonated with me because I, I think so much of what you do day to day in programs, you know, you sometimes wonder, is this making an impact or yeah. is is what we do important? And um, I really feel like there's times when that's been harder to see. And then there's times when you look at it and you really feel like, man, this this is me being with this child and helping with their development is helping their family mm-hmm. and you know their family getting stronger is able to help their community of families to get stronger and um and it kind of just really does you know you start to zoom out and you think if we can create spaces for people to connect and create mm-hmm. spaces for people to grow and develop in who they are mm-hmm. um man that can really start to to have kind of a ripple effect on on their world around them and um and I really do think it starts with so creating an environment that's really welcoming and that says, you know, wherever you're at, wherever, wherever you're at in your life, you're welcome here. And you can use this space or this activity or this program to, yeah. to build on, on what you have. And, um, and I don't know, I just think that's, that's such a, that's been so cool for me to be able to watch in my different jobs in my career and, um, you know, the different programs that I've been able to be a part of. I think you really do start to see how, um, those things develop the community and they create um, a sense of community for people to be able to engage with and, um, and go when they don't know where to go. And it's, mm. it's so important to be able to have something like that. And, um, and I really do think it, it does impact people's people's lives in a way that sometimes we don't even see. And yeah. so um, anyway, I'm really grateful to be a part of that, to be part of that work. And um, you know, when he's talking about connection so much in that book, I just kept thinking about recreation because I'm thinking to myself, when have you ever participated in something that, you know, a cool program that you didn't connect to somebody else there or to yourself mm-hmm. um, in, in a different way. And I just, I think that um, I just think that's really special and it's really special to be able to create spaces for people to be able to do that. Yeah. I love that. Wow. That is, um, that is, is really, really powerful. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, so the last thing that, that I want to, uh, before, before we part, um, well, a couple different things, right? So, <laughs> so one, um, I, I, I've been asking this question recently and I, I, I like it a lot. Like, 
what advice would you give to to junior year Julia or senior oh, year Julia um, when when you look back and you think about your time as um, your time here at Cal Poly? Would you would you give yourself any advice? Uh, get on the steer one more time. Ah, <laughs> I mean, I you show up to class, you got rocked last time. You know, it's so scary to get back on again, but it's worth it. Wow. <laughs> um, no, I um, I think in general, you know, we talk about experiences from the industry standpoint. You, you have experiences day to day in college that yeah. are going to be so important for your life. And I think just really being present for them and having the courage to say yes to those things is so important. And, um, and you know, it's, it is definitely, um, I think it feels like a lot when you're in college, it feels like a lot to transition into the working world. It feels like yeah. so scary to think, is this a job that I'm going to be in for the rest of my life? Is this going to set me up for a, you know, position that I really want? Or, you know, you feel like all your decisions are um, so, you know final. And, um, I think another one of my favorite quotes is that you can only see as far as the headlights, but you can make the whole journey that way. And I just feel like that's so important to remember when you're in college is, you know, just do the next thing, be in the moment, take that, you know, take that chance and, and just know that through that, you know, something else might, might open up and, um, and yeah, it's, it's all part of the journey, you know, (laughs) Love love it. And that be in the moment, that be in the moment advice is, is so key. What about parks and recreation? Like what advice would you give to those students out there who have listened to this and who say, Oh, wow, Julia sounds amazing. And, and what, um, you know, her career has, has sounds amazing. I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to follow in those footsteps. What advice would you give to, uh, those students? Yeah. So, um, I would say, you know, in a parks and recreation department, they they sometimes do value, um, you know, somebody that's willing to kind of do the the minimal work. Um, and you know, I think sometimes it it feels like a bummer to start with an internship somewhere that might not go anywhere. But I feel like when you can really dive into a department or a community and really just get involved in any way that you can, mm-hmm. it's a really helpful jumping off point. And um, it's, it really is how you start building connections because yeah. sometimes it does feel like, you know, cities have all different departments. They have the mayor, they have the city council and, and, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of feel like you can get lost in the system a little bit, but mm-hmm. um I think taking the first step and just and just getting into a role that is just a starting role is is really helpful. And you do start to meet people and start to see who is coming to facilities regularly and who's being impacted by things. And and I think it's, you know, being able to be open to those learning experiences and um, and, you know, saying yes to. Yeah, sure. Maybe I'll take on part of that planning of that event or, yeah. or um, yeah. you know, even at something that you haven't done before, I think it is really helpful to start understanding how all of those things work and yeah. um, inside the department. And, um, and yeah, and I, you know, I would say a big, big thing to I'd recommend is the CPRS website for jobs is mm-hmm. awesome. It's yeah. um, you can really start peeking around and, and looking at, you know, maybe what cities do offer and, and sometimes aquatics is really big in certain cities and they have multiple positions that are in the aquatics yeah. realm. Um, yeah. and you know, some other cities are a lot heavier on events or on, you know, facility maintenance. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, yeah, I think looking at that website even get, does give you an idea of, um, you know, what opportunities are available. 
in different cities, you know, sometimes it's helpful too to look at the demographics of that city. How big is it? How, you know, do they have a lot of parks? Do they have a lot of facilities? And, you know, lots of parks and lots of facilities require lots of work. So, um, so it's really, you know, it's, it is really helpful to kind of understand, um, you know, you might be, you might have an opportunity there. So, um, so anyway, it's, um, yeah, it's a great, I, I love parks and rec. It's a great, um, great career. It's a fun group of people too. I'll tell you what, like I've, I've been in some offices that are pretty dismal. You walk into a parks and rec office and, and you know, you find some pretty fun people. So (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Very rarely is it dismal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I'll just add, I'll add to that. Um, what, what Julia said, you know, here um, in San Luis Obispo, you know, the, the city of San Luis Obispo, um, Greg Avakian, who is the director of Parks and Recreation for the city, is a former lecturer um, here at Cal Poly, former director of recreational sports for ASI. So um, huge partner of, of, of with the program. And then Sean Tucker is an alum who um, runs aquatics for, for the city of SLO. Um, the director of the county Parks and Rec, Nick Franco, is on our advisory council. Um, Jennifer Fanning, the director of recreation services down in, in Atascadero, is an alum. And then Sheridan Bolkin. I, I'm pretty sure you met, you know Sheridan, don't oh, you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she Sheridan. was in Rio Grande when I... Yeah, um, yeah. Okay. She is the director of recreation services for Arroyo Grande now. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So there's lots of um, lots of alum, and and I could go on and name all of the others. You know, the great great professionals around um, around the area. Chris Woods in the in the city of city mm-hmm. of Slow. Of course, you know yeah. you know Chris and Kathy mm-hmm. Petker. You probably know her from from Grover Beach, and um, so many different others that have been longtime partners that that really want our students to reach out and engage. And so um, if you're interested, don't hesitate to reach out some to, to some of these people, Kirk Carmichael in, in Morro Bay. And um and and just don't don't be afraid to do that. So um Absolutely. Yeah. So Julia, before we close, um, I'm wondering if you can just um let everybody know um what uh number to call for your black market uh room when they want to come oh, up. Oh gosh, see. I don't know if I can do that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but you know, reach out to me. I'm not a I'm not a huge social media error, but I do have a Facebook. So um, you know, if yeah. anybody is You're on LinkedIn. Yeah, you're on Take LinkedIn. Take a couple laps on the mountain. Definitely shoot me a message. I'd love it. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yes, I do have yes. a LinkedIn. Yes, I yeah, do. Yeah, you're LinkedIn. on LinkedIn. And so, yeah, that's what I advise for all of our students who want to potentially connect. And obviously, I'm kidding about the black market uh, <laughs> room. Yeah. Uh, the, but, um, yeah, you but, know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But um, <laughs> I would love to. I would love to come up. Though, and if you're and, a skier, um, a snowboarder. You know, I mean, that's a <laughs> that's a big factor. And you know, I'm, I'm a I'm a knuckle dragger, so I I, I can get out there and knuckle drag with you. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much, Julia. It's so great to see you, and so great to to hear from you, and such great advice. And um, just uh, thank you so much, man. Thank you for having me. It's been so fun. And um, yes, I love 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 Cal Poly. So, um, you know, it's just such a great such a great place. And I'm just if you're if you're going there, if you're in this department, you're you're in a really great spot. Awesome. Thanks. See ya. Thank you. Bye. Bye.